Welcome, everybody, to episode number three of the Virtual Colorado Trail Challenge podcast. My name is Jim Lynch. I am your host and also a participant in the challenge. Well, all I got to say right now is, wow, already number three. We're a little over three weeks into the Colorado Trail Challenge. It's been so much fun. Uh, We're all running it. It just seems to to be moving along pretty well. I know that, uh, again, my partner and I, we're over 200 miles now, and this thing goes until September 3rd. But we have a great guest with us today, Buzz Burrell. He's really the father of Fastest Known Time. He's actually a 1999 Colorado Trail record holder. He did it in 11 days, 16 hours and 13 minutes. Um, And then in 2000, he he set a record on the John Muir Trail at 222 miles, four days, 14 hours and 39 minutes. You uh, also ran your own rim to rim to rim route and you call it the R2R2R.alt. That's pretty cool. And you started the fastest known time of the year awards in 2016. You're uh, really involved with the Boulder Trail Runners. And your most recent career was with Ultimate Direction, which is athlete-inspired hydration products. Very popular, well-designed. They include hydration belts and vests and even more products. I've had actually my vest. It's probably outdated. It's the Wasp vest that I used many years while living on Maui. And I still use it to this day. So you were the brand vice president until you retired. And you head up the Fastest Known Time website, which is an amazing website. It's very well put together. It includes routes, athletes, who you're tracking now. And you even host a podcast, which you have 92 episodes already. And I know how difficult those are to put together sometimes. So good on you on that. So the listeners out there, if you want to go to Buzz's site, it's fastestknowntime.com. You spell it out completely, fastestknowntime.com. And uh, so we welcome you to the podcast. This is a private podcast for the registered runners for the Virtual Colorado Trail Challenge. And we have Brian Williams and David Manthe. Both of them are co-race directors who created this challenge and it's going really well. So thank you for coming on. We always start off with an update and Mr. David Manthe, Coach David Manthe, can you give us an update? You got it. Thanks so much, Jim. All right. So first and foremost, Brian and I wanted to give a huge shout out to Team ATC Zero. Uh, They're the first two-person team to complete 500 miles. We took some time to verify it, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, but we really wanted to make sure that we uh, we did verify all of their runs. Uh, Scott Ryberg, uh, who actually lives here, he's um, one of the team members who lives here in Denver, did a lot of his runs on the Highline Canal, uh, just locally in Southeast Denver. And then Bill Souza, who lives out in Harper's Ferry. And what's really cool is that Bill actually did quite a few of his runs on the Appalachian Trail. So when we think about these virtual events and kind of the spirit of the challenge, being able to actually get out and spend a lot of time on on a, on a trail kind of, you know, like the Colorado Trail or the Appalachian Trail. It's pretty cool. So um, they actually completed it. They did everything in 14 days. Um, so they're averaging 35 miles a day as a team, a lot of two a days. So a lot of times they would log in. Actually, they would do four workouts between the two of them 
um, logging, logging a bunch of miles early in the morning for their long run and then a short recovery run at night or recovery walk. So it was really good. There was actually a lot of walking involved per their notes or their workout notes that they had. So um, just really solid, just really steady. And uh, as they say, slow and steady wins the race. But we did want to take time to verify their workouts before congratulating them. Some of the comments we were getting or inquiries we were getting from some of the other runners were uh, specifically about what types of workouts were uh, were allowed, um, what workouts were in the spirit of the challenge. And that is something that we are going to kind of we're going to kind of chat about. We're going to be sending out an email uh, to everybody just to just to discuss some of the rules. Um, such as you can't really wear your Garmin when you're going grocery shopping. Or um, I think we've seen a few people wearing their Garmin or their Fitbit while they're mowing the lawn, maybe while they're working, if they're on their feet working and they're tracking miles. I've seen a few of those. That was the case. I think I would probably log about six miles a day just being on the phone because I pace when I walk or I, I pace when I talk on the phone. So uh, we just we want to make sure that all the workouts are within the spirit of the challenge that you're actually out there doing doing a run, doing a walk, doing a hike. So let's uh, just moving on to kind of uh, chat about the other categories in the solo category. Aaron Anton actually has recorded 500 miles yet again, yet to be verified. So we need to go back in and kind of check and make sure that uh, that all of his workouts are, are legit. And then um, the three person relay. We've got the quarantine queens who are sneaking up on the 500 mile mark. And then the four person relay, we've got team JSD2 or JSD to the second power. They just overtook uh, Brian's sister on team LeBrag. <laughs> so, mm. Brian, you're going to have to. Uh, Gonna have to get your uh, get uh, get uh, your, your sister in gear here so they can get caught up. Gotta start cracking the whip, huh? That's right. Come on, man. Kind of kind of interesting. Um, I love playing with stats and numbers. Just kind of going through the median mileage of everyone at this at this point. You know, we're 23 days into this thing. Solo, uh, the median mileage for a solo participant is 125 miles. Uh, Two person relay is 150. Three-person relay, the median mileage is 200 miles, and the four-person relay, the median mileage is 275. Now, that's not to say that if you're below that, that you are, you know, completely behind, right? It's not about how you start it; it's about how you finish it. However, just kind of, kind of to keep things in perspective, that just will give you an idea of where you stand in relationship to the rest of the participants. So, kind of fun. All right, so moving on, uh, we want to give a couple of fun shout-outs. There's been a ton of activity out on the Facebook group, just a lot of really neat posts. Brian was out on the on the Flatirons, actually doing an ascent of the Flatiron last week, and uh, which is kind of neat, just scaling right up the Flatiron. I thought that was pretty pretty sweet. But we're getting lots of photos coming in, some great photography coming in from Ohio, Texas, New Hampshire, Arizona. Um, we've got a guy, Steve Snyder, that posted some really cool shots of his run around San Francisco uh, and the coastline. I thought that was pretty, pretty sweet. We're getting a lot of photos of watch tans. Everyone is really proud of their tan or lack thereof on their wrist from their Garmin uh, or their uh, their Fitbits or their Suntos, which is that's kind of neat. Little special shout out to Jenny Woolley. She had the digger of the week, kind of bashed up her knee a little bit, was drawing some blood. Um, hopefully she's recovering and she's okay. 
really, really, really cool video. Katie Mendez took a ground level video of a bull snake cruising across the path. I thought that was kind of, that was kind of unique. I mean, it was close up too. She had no fear whatsoever. Let's see here. Dessa Willie. She had some great shots actually out on the CT in the collegiate peaks, uh, which is pretty cool. And, um, let's see here. Uh, Michelle O'Neill, we, uh, you might have to ask if you actually have a permit for those guns that you were flaunting in your photo. She was uh, she was flashing some sweet biceps. So nice, nice work there. Tons of really good dog photos, too. I, I like uh, I like seeing all the pups that are out there since I'm always running with mine. Um, Leslie Britton, Tracy uh, Pernard, uh, Maureen Harvey and Jeremy Allen get some really good shots with the dogs. Uh, a couple shots of deer as well. And then. Uh, Last but not least, Meredith Eddy had a really cool pick with her running partner, Cisco. I wasn't quite sure if Cisco was a horse or a burrow. That's her burrow. I think she was in a burrow race. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And I, from what I remember from that post, I think she got um, DQ'd because she lost, she lost the lead rope and uh, the burrow finished without her. Oh, <laughs> Something no like way. that. So, <laughs> oh, such a bummer, yeah. such a bummer, but Hey, really cool story and a good memory. So that's, uh, that's awesome to see. So definitely make sure that you guys are hopping online, sharing your photos. We love seeing them all and, um, really good stuff. Thank you, David. Really appreciate it. So buzz, I want to thank you again for coming on. And I want to start it off by asking you, you, uh, you and, uh, Peter started in, in 1999 to run the Colorado Trail, and you did 11 days, 16 hours, and 13 minutes. And uh, it's, it sounds like similar to what Brian's experience was with Eric, that he ended up doing it solo because uh, Eric got injured. And uh, tell me about your 1999 experience. Well, 1999 was real different because multi-day trail running was not a thing. Peter and I sort of put it on the map. The previous record is by Dale Garland and friends, of course, uh, race director of the Hard Rock 100. But those guys, you know, they're they're pretty casual. So whatever we did was going to be the new FKT. And we kind of knew that. It just really wasn't a thing at all. And logistics were a real issue. Like, how do you even do this? What's the plan? I think Peter and I were pretty fit, but we had to work out the whole support thing where people could meet us, figuring out the map and, and stuff like that. And so we started off and things were going pretty well. Uh, I think we we're pretty fit, but again, logistics are key. I think relentless forward motion, as Brian can certainly attest to, is really the crux of any multi-day effort. It's not really how fast you go. It's how many hours of the day you're moving forward. And that, there's a lot to work out there. So sometimes we'd go into the nearest town and we'd have pizza and beer. Uh, it'd be kind of went like that. So Peter and I were moving fast when we were moving, but we weren't spending uh, a terrific amount of time on the trail. And then Peter got hurt, which was sort of too bad. Obviously, we'd come a long way. We'd done a lot together. And so he basically, we had a slow day to see if he'd come back and he didn't come back. And then the entire team got food poisoning. <laughs> oh my! We, we, we couldn't oh no. we couldn't keep food oh. down, and uh, it was really unpleasant. And so we get into uh, Silverton. I said, "Well, okay, not that much further to go. We're going east to west. So we just had to get from Silverton down to Durango." 
I, I literally couldn't eat anything for dinner. I couldn't eat anything for breakfast. And then it rained like mad. They, there's a mudslide that closed uh, a mollusk pass temporarily. So it's hard to get crew in to support it. So it turned, it turned into this total slog fest. But I finished it off uh, and it was, it was good. We kind of put the mark on the wall and established that this is a thing. I think the main thing we did is we got a lot of publicity. We raised money for the Colorado Trail Foundation. The Daily Camera, the local Boulder newspaper, followed it every day. And so it, it became a thing. After this, people got after multi-day trail runs. And so we're pretty happy about that aspect. Um, Buzz, I think it's fair to say that you've kind of been termed uh, the father of FKTs. Have you kind of embraced that? Uh, I have not. Well, <laughs> not really, I guess. I, yeah, I definitely am called the father of FKTs. I'm a well-known person. I certainly helped popularize it. Peter Backwin's done a ton of work with this. A fellow named Bill Wright actually was the first person to use the term that I'm aware of. But yeah, I really helped popularize it and became associated with it, starting with the Colorado Trail Run, particularly the John Muir Trail Run, and various slideshows and just countless efforts since then. Uh, we're two years into fastestknowntime.com. So please just go there. It's really easy to find. It's a fun website. You can see a lot of different things. There's articles, there's a part podcast, and there's essentially a bucket list of the best routes of the world. There are some in Hawaii, I should mention to you. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, there is? We are getting 30 submissions per day. So we're kind of buried. You know, with the pandemic, there's no such thing as a race anymore. So people are trying to put their mark on the wall with an FKT. Ah, okay. Sure. Good. So those aren't actually up on uh, FKT yet, but you're there. you have them and ready to put them up at some point. Um, no, like I said, we're getting 30 new ones every day oh, okay. from all over the world. Mm. And uh, see, I tracked May and during May, uh, 53% of our new routes came in from overseas. Wow. Yeah. So what, during the month of May, over half were from overseas, a sizable percentage from Germany. For some reason, Germany got really big. Uh, the Germans are really organized. And I'm looking on the website right now, Jim, and there are 11 FKT routes in the state of Hawaii. All right. Just out of curiosity, are there any on Maui? Sea to Sky, Haleakala. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's a big up. Yeah, that is a huge up. <laughs> they have. Uh, they used to have Run to the Sun. We tried to bring that back last year. It's about 33 miles. It starts right by the airport and then goes all the way to the top of Haleakala had all the permits for it. And then the last two-tenths of a mile, the uh, Haleakala Park Ranger put the kibosh on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. EPS. National Park Service can be stick sticklers, can't they? They can be. They can be. They're very difficult to work with at times. Yep. But the, the folks that are doing, I wanted to, by the way, thank David for that excellent report on the virtual Colorado Trail Run. So good job, guys. Uh, obviously, this is a labor of love. So, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast. Happy to have this conversation, but I want to give it right back at you. Thank you for putting this together. People need this. Uh, and so it's a labor of love. Appreciate you guys for doing this. Well, well, thank you, Buzz. You know, I think the reason David approached me with this concept is just that there are no races being held right now. 
And so there's uh, there's kind of that need to have that that sense of community or or a, a goal that we can kind of strive to together. I think that's what's really cool about the social aspect, the platform of Facebook, and uh, getting people to kind of share where they're running. And then the best part for me is just being able to share my story of the Colorado Trail. And that's why we reached out to you and Dale Garland and Scott Jaime and just uh, trying to share the beauty of local trails here that we love. But the truth is, there's beauty all over this world. And that's what's really cool to see where all these people are running. You know, Buzz, I wanted to ask you, I think one of the first kind of memories I have, um, and I shouldn't say first, but was going into Gun Barrel when you were working at Ultimate Direction. Um, You recently retired this fall. You know, I think you really kind of made a name for Ultimate Direction with the signature series and the athletes you were working with. I was wondering if you could kind of just share a little bit of about how that those signature packs developed and uh, how that kind of changed that brand while you were there. Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, that's a fun story because when I showed up at UD, it, was, it had flatlined. It was a heritage brand. Ultimate Direction, interestingly enough, created the very first hydration packs in history two years before Camelback. So it was Ultimate Direction was the first and Camelback was the second. But it kind of flatlined. Everything looked the same. It was all gray stretch mesh. It was like, eh, who cares? So what? Basically, it was all packs with a bunch of straps and buckles. And a pack is just a glorified bag, a rucksack over your back, and it bounces and jostles around. It's kind of annoying. And so I went in there. I just said, we're going to do something else completely different. And I happened to have some very good friends named huh. Scott Jurek, Tony Krupichka, and Peter Backlund. And I said, hey, guys, what do you want to do here? And we came up with the idea of a vest. It's not really a pack. We called them vests. And they were form-fitting. They came in sizes. You had to have a size. And you put that puppy on, and it didn't bounce. It didn't rub, it didn't jostle, and it weighed literally half of what anything else on the market was weighing. We used Kuban fiber in the original version one, as a matter of fact. You still see people like Brian Powell rocking his, uh, his Ultra Vest version one with its uh, red colorway. And so we didn't just change UD, we changed the world of hydration forever. After that, everybody did vests. After that, everyone used lightweight materials. And then retailers can make money doing it. The industry changed and runners could just go longer with more comfort. Because comfort is really where it's at. You know, you can say what you want, but comfort really is key. I guess I've had the pleasure of running in several different styles of those. And, um, you know, depending on the design, you can go very light and minimal or they're built to expand and carry more gear. Um, especially for maybe these multi-day events. Yeah, I know maybe over the last few years, um, you guys have even introduced like a fast pack then, right? Yeah, yeah well, actually it was probably four years ago, but yep, mm-hmm. we got uh, uh, three or four sizes of the fast pack. And Brian, something I'm quite pleased with, we were the first company to have a line of woman-specific products. Mm-hmm. Not just one, but the whole line. We called it the Jenny Collection. Which was you know a good term, but it was actually facilitated. And the original designs were done by Jenny Jurek, Scott's wife. So Jenny did really, really well. 
And then we came out with the Fast Packs, and right out of the gate, we had the Fast Pack Her. That's Always a creative name. Well, thank you. Appreciate that, Jim. And so we, uh, we've always had women specific and it wasn't just the classic shrink it and pink it. No, it was different shapes and they didn't look like the men's and they had different features than the men's versions. Um, ultimate direction has been, uh, launched into an apparel line too. We don't call it apparel though. We call it wearable gear. (laughs) okay Uh, Okay. we got we have to we have to be clever here because ud is so small we have such a big place in the market such high level of credibility and brand recognition people think there's you know 30 people there but at the time we came out with this we had five people working there far less than you have at aov brian and so we didn't want to compete with nike moving comfort or brooks so we had wearable gear which was gear that you wore, which obviously is apparel, but unless it was functionally and technically better, we didn't do it. So we only did things that were better. So for example, we have a pair of, we have shorts where you carry water and a phone, your keys and credit card driver's license in the short, in stretch pockets that don't bounce. So you don't even have to wear a fanny pack. And so the slogan there is, you know, don't carry it, wear it. It's, I, I use this today. Peter and I were actually did shirt tail peak above El Dorado Canyon State Park this morning. And I was wearing these shorts. So I put water in it, put my phone in it, and they don't budge. You can't tell you have them on. Well, Buzz, I can still sense your, your passion for the brand and the products. But I know you recently retired. What have you been up to since then? <laughs> I've been landscaping my backyard mainly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Which and is a, kind of a lot of work. Still doing the, the sup thing? Yeah, yeah, Brian. Well, good for you. Thank you for asking that because obviously I'm very well known as a runner, which is a you know, fantastic sport, a primal sport. You, know, you just do it naturally as a homo sapien. And I'm big on the bike. Bike's good for old people like me. And <laughs> you enter a bike race and that over 50 and especially that over 60 category is tough, you know, because it's all ex runners, you know, it's all there. And if you're a cyclist, you can keep doing it. Well, if you're a runner, not too many people are still running past the age of 50 or especially 60. So I like the bike as well, but I really got into stand up paddleboard, did some races there and did some ultra supping. And my most recent sport for the past few years has been called surf ski. It's What's a type, that all about? Right, right. Here we go. Sorry, here I go again. I, I, I can't hate to keep you know, doing things like this, but you can Google it, surf ski, and it's a very, very fast sit-on-top kayak designed for open water waves. Huh. And so I have a few of them. The one I was uh, paddling yesterday, it's 19 feet long and 21 inches wide, and it's made of carbon fiber. Huh. So this bad boy gets up and goes. And I was out on just Chatfield Reservoir trying to stay in shape and keep the technique and the form good. But then in uh, 10 days, I'm going to go to Michigan. I'll take it out in the big lake, Lake Michigan. And when it kicks up, you know, it gets up to some two or three footers. You don't need a shore break to ride the bumps. You see what I mean? You take it on a downwind ride. I'll drive down uh, to South Haven, Michigan, put it in, and I'll go 18 miles up the coast to like Holland or Saugatuck. And if the waves get two or three feet, man, I, I mean, it is something else. 
because it has so much speed, you don't need a steep shore break to get a little surf right. You can get huh. you know, 50 meters out of this, you know, 40 meters out of that. And it's, it's quite the hoot. Uh, that's cool. Well, very cool. Well, I'm, uh, I'm always inspired by um, the adventures that I hear you either personally partaking or the ones that you cover from other athletes. Um, and create himself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that was really my next question. You know, Buzz, you've, you've done a lot, seen a lot, know a lot of athletes personally. I'm kind of curious, you know, just for you, what are you most proud of your own accomplishments through the years? And maybe it doesn't have to be the longest or the fastest, but maybe one of the most creative routes or what are some of the highlights for you that you could share? Well, thanks, Brian. That's a very lovely question. I appreciate the quality of that question. And my answer would be, in a certain sense, I'm a streaker. Okay. You know, a streaker, this person who does uh, runs every day for five years or has done the same race every time for 10 or 15 years. I'm a streaker in that I still like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still enjoy it. And so I'm sorry to kind of flip it over on its head. I'm actually the opposite of the normal streaker in that I only do what I enjoy. And if there's not meaning in it for me, I stop. Mm-hmm. And I do this with all aspects of my life. There has to, you know, there, somebody asked Joseph Campbell, what's the meaning of life? And he said, that's the wrong question. You know, what's the meaning in life is the real question. There is no meaning of life. And so you establish meaning. And I, for me, that is being present in the moment and being willing to stop or start. Quit or go hard. You see what I mean? Not being black or white, not having your foot on the gas all the time, but saying what is appropriate, what feels right. And by doing that, Brian, I am still <laughs> really excited about what I'm doing. Everything yeah. I do. I mean, sorry, I don't want to be yucking it up here on your podcast, but yeah, I'm just stoked. I the things I'm doing, I really enjoy it, really like it, and they tend to shift, they tend to move, and they tend to evolve. You should be excited about it. Definitely, Buzz. A lot of people don't follow their passion. It seems like everything that you've done from your work at Ultimate Direction, all the uh, adventure challenges that you have done and created and participated in, it seems like you have lived life in the moment constantly all your life. And you seem like a very content and happy person. Well, thank you, Jim. Of course, when I get a running injury, I just go to pieces. I become an emotional <laughs> basket case and I'm impossible <laughs> to be around. But other than that, I'm pretty. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> so Buzz, quick question. When, I, I mean, I, I love that mindset uh, or that mentality to stay in the moment, train in the moment. When you're preparing for uh, you know, for some of these longer runs, these adventures, when you were preparing to, to run the entire Colorado trail, do you find it difficult to hold to a training plan or do you not even follow a training plan? I mean, I, I talk about that a lot that you've got on one side of the equation, you've got the Zen runner, someone who's very intuitive, someone like yourself, they can sense, Hey, I need to go long today. Or, Hey, I need, I need a day off or recovery day. Or and then on the opposite side, you've got someone who's got to be so disciplined they have to have they have to have the training plan written out to a T. So when when you're prepping your body and getting ready for you know for some of these adventures, are you building up to that, following some sort of a training plan, or are you still kind of staying within that, staying present in the moment, not really following a training plan? Great, David. Yeah, you're spot on. 
because it's so groovy to say, yeah, be in the moment. Cool, dude. But in reality and truth, there's an overlay. There's something overarching that. And so the moment can be a six-week or a six-month frame of reference. You see what I mean? So at at some point, I'm going to say, what are my projects for 2020? Well, I actually said that this winter a while ago. And then I'll do it again for 2021. And so you'll start to get your body ready for that, particularly at this age, off the couch is really doesn't work. Doesn't work that well for anyone, but for me, it really doesn't work. So I have to gear up for things, whatever the sport happens to be. So, yep, I definitely do that. And I tend not to go real far on that, you know? So there's an intuitive sense of what you need to do. And I'm still going to mix it up, mix up the sports and the distances and things like that in order to gear up for the big project they want to do on X date. Yeah, so you're right, David. Thank you for bringing that up. I will point toward let's do the big project on this date, and I will be ready for it. I'll bring my A game for that project. But you know, getting there, you know, if it's not a good day, you know, I'm not going to do it. If it's zero degrees outside, I say, hey, I'm going to do a workout in the gym. You know, things like that. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I wanted question. to just uh, share, Anders Mavis and I have been hanging out and running lately, and I believe you might have been the one to hire him as a product designer at Ultimate Direction. Yes. Well, it's been cool to hang out with him. He said that you were one to kind of influence him to start scrambling the flat irons, and I went with him the very first time David kind of commented on this earlier on this podcast. Uh, I guess that was last week. But you've been into that sport for some time, and you you mentioned Bill Wright earlier. Tell us a little bit about the Satan's Minions. <laughs> well, I'd rather leave that to Bill. Uh, it's his creation. But Satan's Minions is called officially Satan Satan's Minions Scrambling Club, and there's no website by design. It's by invitation only by design. And it's not trying to be, you know, too cool for school. It's trying to be safe. And let's be honest, you can get hurt. And so I think Bill has done an outstanding job of walking the line between being doing really uh, bold style and, and very fast style and really going for it and being safe at the same time. So I think Bill's done a good job with that. And I relate to that because I think I've done a good job with that as well. So Satan's Minions actually does the Tour de Flatirons, which is every fall. Uh, And there's five races, which are obviously not announced anywhere. And uh, boy, the, the rules are pretty clear. You know, if you roll a rock, it's a one minute penalty. You know what I mean? And to be invited to join the club, you have to go on an interview scramble. <laughs> Sounds sort of dorky, but, you know, Bill's serious about it. So there's, I don't know how many people are members, but if Susie or Fred wants to join, Susie or Fred's got to go with Bill on a practice scramble to see how they do. Yeah. And if they look, it's not a man, and they think, oh, man, how fast do I have to be? No, 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 no. How solid do you have to be? You see what I mean? Mm. So to join Satan's Minions is not a school. It's you need to know what you're doing already, and then we can play, and then we can have fun. 
And Bill told me a heck of a story one time. He was doing an interview scramble with someone who's a really good climber. I forgot what they were on. You know, Brian, one of those East Face, the flat irons. So they're really pretty exposed. They're pretty big. You know, if you come off, you're going to go a long way down to the bottom. But they're also moderate and they're also fairly low angle. But they were making a move to the right. And this person did a dyno. You know, he kind of just left both feet and lunged for a hold. And it's like, you know, and, I, and Bill was telling me this. I went, what? <laughs> you know, you just don't really do dinos while scrambling. You know, it's a good move for bouldering. You have to do it. For high-end climbing, you do it. But a dino while scrambling, eh, not a good look. <laughs> and so Bill said, I think that's the only guy he's ever failed. And he was a good climber. Just said he was a little too aggro. Well, I'm just curious. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but what is the the FKT from Chautauqua maybe up to the top of uh, the second flat iron? And then do you have to come back down? Is that a full loop? Is that kind of how you guys judge that? Um, yeah. Most of the, in the FKT site, which you would definitely go fastsnowtime.com and, and look it up, uh, some are since only, but generally speaking, they are uh, out and backs. Uh, so we can do this right now here. And I'm going to do this while we are live. Uh, look up the second flatter and see what's going on with the second flatter. Because I certainly don't know what it is. I used to have the uh, FKT on almost all of them, but those are long gone. So in the second flat iron, it's uh, 33 minutes, 30 seconds, trailhead to trailhead. Wow. So that's right down there at the Chautauqua Ranger Station to the top and back down. And, uh, Who currently holds that? That is Ali Regeb. Before that was Danny Gilbert. So, the, uh, you know, yeah, the flat irons are kind of fun. The uh, first, the third of the big, the obvious ones. First is like a five, six route. The third is more like five, two, five, four. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Just don't make a mistake. Well, it was fun getting out there with him. And I have uh, I know that you were a big um, inspiration to get him involved. And that's been fun to do that together with him as well. We, we call so. Anders the Stoke. The Stoke? Yeah. The Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> What's the meaning behind the stoke? What is what does that mean? Well, if you met Anders, like Brian just chuckled, right, Brian? It's, as yeah. soon as you say, it, it's like, oh, yeah, right. But Anders just exudes what we call the stoke factor. <laughs> and so you know, people can be skilled, they can be you know fit, they can be strong, they can train well, they can be dedicated, so forth. But there's also the stoke factor which means enthusiasm. Yeah. Enthusiasm for what we do counts for a lot. You know, if you're training for the Olympic or something like that, maybe other things count more, but as recreational athletes, attitude is a big deal, right? <laughs> who do you want to be around? Someone who's super fit or someone's got a great attitude, easy choice. And I think Anders has extreme enthusiasm and that uh, term actually comes from Jonathan Lance. I credit Jonathan, for the president of Las Partiva in North America. We were talking about an athlete. You know, we're comparing notes, you know, sponsorship, 
I used to do a lot of sponsoring of athletes. And Johnson, Jonathan said about someone, yeah, really high stoke factor. And we go, oh, yeah, want that guy. <laughs> you know, I kind of compare that when I lived out in Hawaii, the, the surfers out there, they were so stoked when they hit a great wave and they came in. I mean, it just was the high of the high for surfers. So I can, I can understand how that would relate to other aspects of athletic endurance. Right. That's what you want recreationally. So coming in back to what you're doing, the virtual Colorado trail run, we're creating community, aren't we? And you want people to have a good attitude. Uh, Dave did a good job keeping track of what people are doing and noting that, you know, don't put your garment on when you're mowing the lawn. Let's, you know, let's, let's play, be part of the community. Let's play by the rules. Let's support each other. Because just it's just like in any other FKT, if you cheat, you're cheating yourself, right? It's like, what? <laughs> you know, why do I do this? There's no money. It doesn't make any sense. And so to be part of the community with honor and integrity and enthusiasm, that's really what we're all trying to do here. You know, I, and, and social media a lot of times gets a, a, a bad rub because there's so much on there that people are information overload uh, with stuff. But what David was talking about earlier with people posting pictures and some of their stories in this nice little community that is with the uh, Virtual Colorado Trail Challenge, that is a really great use of social media. And you got to love it because you now you can see different perspectives from different people from different parts of the United States and what they're doing out there all because of what these two gentlemen created. Nice. Yeah, the Russians haven't taken over that site. Not not yet. I have a I have a question no, no for you. On that site, yeah. That's right. I got a question for you, Buzz. I was reading the Trail Runner magazine article on you and I, I'm sure when you read it, you probably your head was spinning going, Did I do all this stuff? Did I really do all this stuff? But what was your favorite foreign adventure that you did outside of the United States in a foreign country or whatever? What would you say is your most memorable and and exciting and where you were stoked? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Well, I climbed the Matterhorn with my son, Galen. That was, that was fun, doing a father-son trip. And we sort of waltzed right up it. It's pretty easy. I've always liked New Zealand. Oops, here I go again. It's hard to pinpoint something. You know, New Zealand is like the frontier that Americans lost, right? Americans love New Zealand because it's what we kind of don't have anymore. That's how we see it, mythically at least. And they have great, great tracks. And I think I will do news. I was thinking I was going to go down to Aconcagua, Peru, which I really like the Altiplano. But I think by running on off the mouth like this, I'm going to focus on New Zealand. And there's a track there that I was trying to do all the tracks. They have these seven great walks. Actually, they have nine now. But at the time they had seven, I was on a three-week trip. I was trying to do them all. And I was looking at one. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get back. You know what I mean? It was a point to point. I'm by myself. And some things I was hitchhiking, some things I was doing various shuttles. I could, wasn't seeing this. So I drove around to the end and at the, went up the end of the road on the west coast of the South Island Museum. This you know, pretty wild and woolly spot there. And at the very end of the road, there's a place called the Last Resort. <laughs> kind of a play on words there. Yeah. And it was this Swiss guy who used to work for Holiday Inn internationally. He said, I'm out of this corporate stuff. 
And he and his two sons hand built this resort here at the end of the road, at the far north end of the road on the west coast of the South Island. And I said, man, how could I, you know, how can I do this track here? It's this uh, 76 kilometer track. He said, no worries, mate. (laughs) You know how they are. This guy had his own helicopter. I said, really? I said, yeah. Can you give me right? He said, yeah. No worries, mate. You know, see you at six tomorrow morning. Off we go. I said, okay. And so I, you know, knocked on his door at six. He actually wasn't up yet. We walked over to the garage, opened the garage door, and just, you know, pushed this helicopter out of the garage. And uh, said, okay, you know, wanted to get this going, pull the, the blocks off. And so he got it going, you know, you duck in, you get in. And he just flew me to the start of the track, dropped me down in the meadow, and off you go, mate, no worries. I just ran back to the last resort that day. Oh, what a story that is. That's so cool. <laughs> what was, what was more fun, the, the helicopter ride or the actual run? Well, the run is good because you're going past these huts and you're going through a lot of different uh, ecosystems, which are very different than our ecosystems. And New Zealand, you know, is this exact same size, landmass-wise, as Colorado. And yet it has 450 mountain huts. Imagine Colorado with 450 mountain huts. So New Zealand is next level for recreation. So I like that. But really, it was the elegance of it that I liked. You know what I mean? I did it, uh, also did their track there, the Apple Tasman track, where I took a boat to the start. And so doing things like that somehow brings in this sense of elegance, the sense of place where it's not really about the time or the vert. It's about experiencing what this unique place in the world uniquely has to offer. One of the things that Brian and I have talked about, you know, throughout the course of this challenge is, is that we've got, we've got people who are signing up that have never, they really don't know anything about the Colorado trail at all. And so, you know, we're trying to kind of give them that appetizer or a little bit of a taste test of what it's about. And then I, I, you know, listening to you and everything that you've done, there, there are so many people when you think of the running community who they're kind of inside the lines, right? You have to have a race or you have to have something to sign up for. And everything that you're describing is coloring outside the lines and experiencing everything. And I think that's what's, what's so cool is what, what Brian and I are trying to do and what's, you know, just even listening to him and Brian, I mean, he's told me so much about his FKT but we'll talk and he'll tell me there's something else that comes out or, or another experience and another experience. But there's just something so cool about saying, hey, the world is what you make of it. And, you know, you don't have to be confined by, um, you know, set distances or set races. And um, you can get out there and experience it all. And or nor do you have to be a runner, per se. I think that's a label that has been, you know, people would always say, hey, are you a runner? And immediately I would say, oh, yes, I'm a runner. But there's so much more than just running. Maybe running is just, or being an ultra runner or a trail runner is just one piece of who you are. And I, I, that's what I think is important too, is that, you know, people can kind of step outside that and say, I'm a runner, but I also do this. Or I'm an adventurer, but I also run. I think it's, yeah. I think it's really cool. You can pick your own. You can define it yourself. Just like you're doing with the Colorado Trail Run, just like FKTs are, you can define it in terms of something that is meaningful for you. Absolutely. 
we're all participants and it's got a lot of meaning for me. I was putting on a lot of races out in Maui, the Maui Marathon and other races. My running suffered during that period of time because it was a lot of work. But now that I'm back in Colorado, I'm back up to 45, 50 miles a week and I haven't done that in four years and I feel so good. And it's only because of this challenge. And I'm excited because I look at the stats every day. We're never gonna we're never gonna win. We're probably not going to get into the top ten, but I think we have a shot at being in the top twenty. I don't think both of us have enough time to put that many miles like, you know, some of the winners already that have already finished. I don't know how they did that. We're only twenty three days into this thing. Hey Buzz, I got one more question for you. Yeah. Um, I know you and Peter have been um, friends for many years, but you guys have been working closely together at Ultimate Direction. He, you know, his name is behind one of the signature packs. And I think you even mentioned maybe you guys were climbing uh, this morning together. Was that right? Hiking mainly. Yes. Hiking. Well, I'm just kind of curious uh, when you said each each year you kind of look out and kind of uh, maybe plan some adventures. Do you and Peter have some uh, a summer adventure plan together? We don't. I wish we did, Brian. That's a good question. Peter and I have been outstanding partners. We have incredible memories and legacy. I got into paddling. He did not. Um, he, st- he stays pretty close to home. I'm kind of the opposite. So as okay. he's gotten older, he likes Boulder. He's got a project going on right now called the Flatiron Classic Grid, <laughs> a crazy project. So there's lots of routes in the Flatirons, but there's 53 Flatiron Classics as defined by the guidebook written by Jerry Roach. So Peter's doing all 53 of these routes every month. Wow. So, so 53 times 12, which goes okay, you know, May and June, but, you know, December... <laughs> January and February, it gets a little dicey. So that's Peter's project. And we were going to do something in the Grand Canyon. We used to historically do a, our desert trip. We always joked about our annual desert trip, done some amazing things in Southeast Utah. Uh, we were going to the Grand Canyon. We had the permits pulled. We had the airfare booked. And then you know what happened. And so <laughs> April kind of got put on hold. Wow. Hmm. Of course, it put everything on hold, it seems. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up, but I, I do have to ask another question. I really was enthralled by the Trail Runner magazine and actually let it in with something that was very interesting. First of all, it, it states that you travel light. You like to travel light, and a credit card is the lightest thing you can take with you when you travel. But the right. other question I had was, what about this straw? Can you tell me about taking a straw with you. Wow. People sometimes notice that it's not a thing. I think it should be. It still is a thing for me. So yeah, I've, <laughs> I've always carried a straw because sometimes if you need water, straw really works. Uh, there's not often a gurgling little brook right there. And since I don't, sh- I like to be like, I don't like to schlep a ton of water. When I did the triple trek in Canyonlands, which is a hundred miles through Canyonlands National Park, and I brought two liters of water. That was it. So obviously, I had to find water along the way. And this straw is key. I remember dropping into uh, Horse Creek. Horse, South Fork of Horse Creek forms the maze. This is just below the maze in Horse Creek. And from up top, you can see the cottonwoods down there. You had to find a way down in, which took a couple hours. Then you get down in, you know, there's no water. And you're kind of saying, I need water. Because you're going to turn into a prune out there. 
And you're walking down and there it is. There's this little trickle because it's just seeping out of the sand. And then, you know, a few hundred meters later, it drops back into the sand. You know what I mean? That's how it kind of works in the desert. It comes and goes. And I whipped out my straw because it's only, you know, half an inch deep. And so I drank my fill out of the seep using the straw. I've done that in the mountains, sometimes in rocks, sometimes when uh, you get snow melt coming off of a snow patch and blow it as tailish or scree, you can whip out the straw and get a good drink of water that you couldn't get otherwise. You know, that's crazy because as we were young little kids, mom used to always say when you dropped your fork on the floor that you need to wash it off or you're going to get germs and all this other stuff. And here you are just taking water from a straw out in place you don't even know and you're still alive. Apparently I am. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but basically that one's just cattle. You know, I think water is generally good. I think God did a pretty good job with water. But you just don't want to be downstream from cattle. So if you're upstream from cattle, in my personal opinion, I think you're okay. And when you actually look at the tests, Giardia is a little bit overrated. You can certainly get it. You can get other things. But the tests they've done on high mountain streams, they're fairly clean. Maybe with the exception of that, that one section of the CT that Brian loved through the, uh, through the cow pastures. Probably <laughs> avoid that. Avoid drinking water from there. Oh, the CT is different. CT is, goes through a lot of livestock areas. Wow. So yeah. you, you definitely got to, that's a different deal. Well, we've all been educated. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you are uh, definitely a legend. And uh, I just really want to thank you again for taking time to meet with us, share some of your personal stories and experience with our participants. I think it's just really cool. So thank you again. And uh, Jim, thanks. And thanks, Buzz, David, and Brian. And uh, Buzz, you have anything final you'd like to say to everybody? Well, right back at you, you three, the virtual Colorado Trail Run. You're creating community. You're giving people an opportunity to go out there and have a good time. And here's the Yes, I do have one final thing to say. I've been harping on this for three months. I get to say it one more time. I don't believe in social distancing. <laughs> I believe in physical distancing and social connectivity. So practice physical distancing and social connection. That's awesome. I like that. I'm going to use Great. that. Fantastic. That is fantastic. All right. So all the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, please share this with other people because this is good, good conversation, good education, good stuff. And uh, maybe it'll motivate you to go out and do something outside of your comfort zone like Buzz has and Brian has and, you know, all of us, I think, have on this podcast here that are that are here. So thanks a lot. My name is Jim Lynch. And uh, until next week when we have episode number four, have a great week. Get your miles in. Thank you.